Dick and Ham Show. Welcome back, 2021. We've got uh, the ranch online. We've got the boot camp online. Sam is uh, missing in action. Not sure where he is. Andrew is up uh, at the Murray River with a family camping trip. We're in 2021 this year. So welcome back, Ham fans. Welcome back, Dick enthusiasts. I guess <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't really think that that part. It's 2021. We made it. <laughs> we made only just bloody hell. Oh god. I'm I'm almost fatigued about people saying how bad 2020 was and thank God it's over. Like I actually, I don't want that anymore. I just wanted to just pretend it never happened almost. The whole 2020 um, has been shit. Uh, You know, kind of jokes are are, are boring, but also uh, the 2021 hold my beer jokes. I'm I'm already sick of those. I don't really know how much worse it could get. Yeah. I mean, the hold my beer thing in general is like, it's pretty simple and it's, it's understandable and it was funny, but it's like, is it, is it that funny? Like you, you can make that up so easily. It's like, here's the thing that was bad, but I'm going to find a thing that's more bad and then put the, put my, hold my beer thing on it. It doesn't require that much sort of sophisticated comic skill. And I, I kind of wish people would stop rewarding it, but you know, you can't expect, uh, you, you got to aim for the middle. If, if you want a mass following like we have, you got to aim for the middle. You can't be too high brow. <laughs> Yeah, and the one thing I'd say to that is the Hold My Beer Twitter account is amazing because it's yeah. just all it's just all fails. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's it worth it. Hey, what's the right age to introduce your kid to fail videos? Mm, older than our kids, surely. <laughs> surely. I mean, yeah. like I've already got a problem where if my daughter will fall over, my son Dash will just laugh at her. Like <laughs> it's it's not it's not right. It's not right. <laughs> well, at least he's not videoing it, Rich. <laughs> yeah, that would be even funny. <laughs> I, I, should, I shouldn't be showing it to him over and over again, should I? <laughs> Putting a laugh track on it. <laughs> Some of those amazing sound effects. <laughs> Someone slips over. Whoopin, 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 bow. Uh, well, I um, I made the mistake. I accidentally showed our five-year-old. She was, I wanted to show a video of herself skiing or doing something or other. And she found this other one and she pressed it and it was a fail video that was automatically saved from our WhatsApp chap chat oh. of, a, of like a 10 year old kid trying to do a backflip off a diving board <laughs> and he gets it really wrong and just lands like face first on the concrete. I sent um, you that. And my five-year-old's reaction to that was like, what was that? What was that? And she started laughing like a maniac and just pressing it and pressing it and pressing it. Because just the idea that someone could get it so wrong like that was just mind-blowing. They hadn't even thought of it, that that it was possible to do that. About 10 years ago, I should have started making a list of my favourite fail subcategories. Like Dave, I remember you famously came up um, with one, which is model aeroplane fails, a secretly hilarious, and and that's true. Um, Some of my other favourites are diving board fails. They're excellent. Um, and, and another one is, you know, like, I don't know how to, I don't know what it's called, but when people are riding a motorbike and they're, they're just trying to like slow down or something like that, but they, (laughs) but they hold on tighter to the accelerator and it just kind of goes like, and they career into this, into the side of a bush or or a house or something like that. I love those. Fuck they're funny. Motorbike throttle fails, I believe is the technical, (laughs) uh, technical term for that that subcategory yeah. but i want to get onto something that relates to boots in a second but before we start i just want to give a quick shout out to this week's show sponsors uh, we've got mm-hmm. simon we've got two sponsors this week simon's sexy stock picks and the old mccallum scotch whiskey the type of whiskey that taps you on the shoulder and says do it mccallum's old mccallum scotch whiskey i can't speak today i said scotch whiskey what what is going on with my <laughs> face my, my mouth and my face are not not functional but yes. uh, but Boots, the thing I wanted to refer to that's very specific to you is the first first mailbag of 2021. It's it's been it's been dormant for a little while. I mean, we're getting mail from 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 Google, but I guess that doesn't really count uh, in terms of real fan mail. I don't think they're really fans of the show. They're just trying to sell us stuff. But we did get a, a legitimate mail. I know there's been a lot of a lot of boy cried wolf. This is a real email, but this one really, really is. It's not Professor <laughs> Professorson. It's it's not Gary McGarry face. It's an actual person. Somebody by the name of Jeff. Jeff F doesn't give a second name, but that's fine. And it says this. Hi. First off, I'm a long time listener, first time writer. So it, it sounds fake because that's how all the other ones started as well. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. So he said here Jeff says I want to say I really enjoy your show and I can't wait for the next episode. Well, apologies for taking so long in between episodes, <laughs> Jeff, because we're a little bit sporadic. 
A lot's happened since he wrote this email. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, Jeff may have like left the country by now. I don't, we don't know where Jeff is because he wrote it in September. Do you think? Do you think Trump could win the 2016 <laughs> election? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, are you, what are your thoughts on Mike Pence's <laughs> VP pick? Uh, and you know, he does say this. I'm keen. I'm keen to know everyone's thoughts on the future of international sport, specifically the next two years as we face down COVID. 2020 was a mixed bag. Uh, yes, it was. Some very famous athletes got sick. Uh, with 2021 gearing up to normal with tennis, F1 in the Olympics, not to mention world, yeah, F1 Olympics, that's an interesting one. World Cup in 2022, the controversial, that's the Qatar one, isn't it? The, it is. Yeah, that that's, I mean, there's a lot to talk about on that in general, which has already been said. So his, his point on that is how should nations and cities provide safety for these events and should there be crowds also, how do you manage the egos of asking top athletes to quarantine in a hotel room 19 hours a day? Thank you again for your show. Cheers, Jeff. P.S. With international travel now restricted, how do I get an invite down to Boots' beach house? That's not a wind-up. That's what Jeff said. So which of those pieces should we tackle first? Seeking an invitation. Mm. Well, that, that is a wind-up, as I believe the, uh, the, the mailbag participant lives across the road from my or from my beach house oh, so that and is, you uh, haven't invited him to your house <laughs> Jesus Christ the guy just needs to borrow a cup of sugar <laughs> but let's let, let's let's deal with the substance of the of the question first I think the um, I think we've kind of got a, a couple of roadmaps about how international sporting events are going to be dealt with and I think it's going to be very much dependent on how that particular country, deals with COVID and I think you'll see you know, the, the Australian example where the rest of the world, if you read some of the articles coming out of the British press about um, how we're treating the tennis players coming to the Australian Open, they're kind of outraged and think that we've been ridiculously over the top. Um, whereas in Australia, the press is a little bit the other way is going, well, why, why, kind of, why are we holding this event? Why are we, bringing all these people into Australia who won't be sitting in um, strict hotel quarantine for two weeks. They'll be out for five hours a day and potentially, Correct. Know, as we've as we've seen, even with the hotel quarantine system, getting people from the airport to the hotels, um, that's pretty much how it's gotten into the community. So I think we'll find the, the sporting events, you know, Australia will, will deal with it with biosecurity that will not be particularly attractive to a, to a lot of athletes. I mean, I think the, the Formula One will be another big test if they do decide to hold it early in the year just because of how many people who aren't the drivers come in for the, uh, for the event. And The grid, the grid girls' uh, boots. I think they're here, David. I think that they don't need to be, be imported. Um, <laughs> but just the sheer volume of people and transportation logistics people who are not... Uh, in Australia, even more than there are um, for for the tennis. So, I think that's how Australia will deal with it. I mean, the Olympics is a really interesting question. I mean, Japan already is starting to have internal dialogue about well, can we possibly hold these Olympics? They have they've had a few weeks of over a thousand infections a day, which in South Korea, Singapore, and Japan, sort of North Asia regions, that's pretty big numbers compared to what they were having. Um, and, you know, look, looking looking at a potential, I think they're calling it the second and a half wave, and and looking at the Olympics and thinking, oh, kind of how are we going to do that when we're going to, you know, and it makes sense. You're bringing people in from all over the world. Like, you just, the, the how, how to set up, biosecurity protocols for that. Uh, I just, I just don't know. And so I think we're going to have to see where we are in five months yeah. time. Yeah. I think um, on, on the Japan one, I was talking to someone um, a little bit before Christmas about, about that and they're, they're over there. And I, I think the, the plan as much as you can have a plan at this point um, from the Japanese government was, you know, solely around the vaccine really and having, you know, all of the Japanese population vaccinated in the first half of the year. Um, to then kind of, you know, certainly help. You would then think, though, that the um, the athletes can then 
come in, but I just can't see how you would have international crowds attending that event. I just, I cannot see how you could possibly kind of arrange it in 2021 where you would have international crowds attending the Olympics, right? Like, I, I can't, like what? No, you can't it's do it. A, that would seem insane to, to put your country at that sort of risk, particularly if you have at that point, as you say, vaccinated the country or endeavoured to vaccinate the country, though perhaps that's the time when you could um, when you could have people coming in. But I, I would think that they will just, um, so, you know, basically put a requirement on the athletes who are coming in oh, and yeah. any of the support yeah. staff to be vaccinated. And, and if they can get the country vaccinated, then that, you know, that, that does stand to reason as, as being able to do it. I just, mm-hmm. that timeline of end of July, start of August, to have that level of vaccination, given, given where we are. What's the timetable for vaccination for you guys? Well, we, Ranch and I will probably never get vaccinated because we are in literally the the band that will get done last. Um, they're going to. They've said that they will start off with. Uh, this is in March um, in Australia. That they'll start off with uh, aged care health workers. Probably now going to be people doing hotel quarantine and quarantine uh, transport, which seems smart thinking about it. Uh, and then they will go to uh, people in the higher with the comorbidities and in the age age level risks, and then after they've gone down to whatever it is, sixty, then they will start with doing young people who are more likely to spread the disease. So sort of drop from sixty down to twenty, and then um, come up again. So people in the forty to fifty range. Uh, is that right? Uh, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Targeting like sexually promiscuous teens who are who are most likely <laughs> to have contact with strangers. Is that is that what well, we're just, saying? Just, well, just just take it less seriously. So and uh, and uh, out and about more than I mean, if you've got young kids, you're pretty much stuck in your house <laughs> or, for the rest or, of your life. <laughs> I hadn't read any of that. And look, I mean, where I get my detailed news is actually from the Dick and Ham show, but um, yeah, wow, that is, that is amazing. So, so I'm, I'm responsible enough that the government trusts me to do the right thing. That's all right. That, they, they, they have, or, or, or that they don't care if you die. The other point <laughs> is that they haven't, um, is that's the initial advice. They, the government haven't released the official um, timetabling and they're not going to do it until March when they've got all of the relevant approvals and they actually got the dosages ready to go. But that is the, as I understand it, the pre- the preliminary stuff that was uh, that was in the age. And what is the is the is the thinking that you know certainly in Australia, what you're kind of looking at kind of by the end of 2021, like you know douchebags like you and I would get the jab or what? <laughs> that, that, that's that's the idea, but right. the, the the math on how many how many doses we're going to have is doesn't add up at the moment with us getting it money into 2021. Uh, so unless there is a, a another one, and I know CSL will put their, their fingers in a couple of other pies and therefore CSL could be manufacturing it on shore. We're just, it's going to be a supply issue for us. Yeah. Notwithstanding how much the government talks about how many deals they've got in place, they've actually got to get the, they've got to get the thing here. Get the stuff. Mm. Yeah. Well, we've got, um, here, over here, there's access to it through the EU, which is weird because Norway's not in the EU. It's in the European Economic Union, and we get it through that, which is funny. That with Brexit, uh, I, I, you know, it's just a complete train wreck, as we all know. But one of the first things that happened with Brexit was the UK got their hands on a whole bunch of, of vaccine doses. Like, look at what we did. And then, and then it, it came out that they just had to pay double what everybody else paid in the EU because they weren't <laughs> in the EU anymore. <laughs> good on you guys great great work <laughs> hooray england you got those doses and you paid twice as much shout out to loyal listener chris B- hi hope you're yeah. going to yeah no yeah his rage levels are probably hard to calculate yeah so no in norway we get it via the eu and they've got quite a fun i don't know funds right word, but interesting system where you can see your place in the queue so I know that there's 2.85 million people who are going to get it before me because you basically go through this checklist and then it shows you where they are in the, where you are in the queue. So yeah, there's 2.85 million people getting it. They're going to get 40,000 doses a week of the Pfizer one, which the numbers of that don't really add up to me because that would mean you get in half a year, you'd get 1.8 million or so. And if you're having two each, that means there's only 900,000 people are going to get done in the next six months, which just doesn't, I mean, it's, it's a lot of people, of course, but 
it just makes you wonder when is it when are you can actually get it. And yeah, we're, we're all in the we're in the uh, lowest lowest priority group. So I, I'm interested to hear that that you're being told that you may never get it. I, I thought it would be more a case of that you will, but it's just you know, no, no. It's not that we will never get it. That that that's I think that's Mean Ranch being uh, ah. morbid. I think it's the uh, it's basically it's just we're at the very end of the. Yeah, the the queue yep. of, uh, of people who will receive it. The, I mean, Scott, the, the the government's position is that everyone who wants to get vaccinated will be able to get vaccinated. And as Ranch said, the intention is for that to happen in twenty twenty one. But the numbers make that seem difficult to to yep. see how that's going to eventuate. Yeah, well, it's an interesting interesting uh, thing to to keep track of, isn't it? So thanks for the email, Jeff. We kind of went off on a bit of a tangent there. Um, but in terms of in terms of anything else on Jeff's email, Dave, was there anything else there? I think of those sports, F F one is probably the most curious one to me. I hope that I, I'm really struggling with how that's going to work. I mean, I know they've just run a season that I think, but correct me if I'm wrong, it was it was kind of all it was all in Europe. Is that right? I think the season that they just did. They, they um, did. They did have. Some races not in Europe, but they did run at certain tracks multiple times, as mm. I understand yeah. it, in, in Europe. Yeah, that horrific crash was in Bahrain or the UAE, I think. That was the one. That's right. That was yeah, outside yeah. Europe. Yeah. Um, mm. But, yeah, I mean, I just I, – can you imagine, like, you know, everyone lobbing into Albert Park in well, a couple I, of I months? Just, I, can't, I just can't see how – I just can't see how they're going to do it. I mean, you, you, tennis is kind of one thing, and you've kind of got a blueprint for how – they managed to run both the French Open and the and the US Open um, in terms of with relatively strict biosecurity, not as strict as, as, as Victoria is going to be, but but pretty strict. So kind of you can see how it could work, but the the I just don't I, I don't see how you can can do the the Formula One here. When when is it March? It it normally is. I I don't know whether they've put a date on it for twenty twenty one or not, but. Um, I was just going to say that the, 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 the easy solution is just to not run it in Victoria, of course, because, um, you know, evidently if, if you're in, if you're in Sydney, you can still have half the fucking SCG filled and it's fine. So <laughs> look, I, I think, I think that's just, that must just be okay up there. It's how that's how that is. the stupidest fucking thing, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, that, well, at least to, tonight they've come out and reduced it to 25%. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. so 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 it'll still it'll still be a problem. Is basically what that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not not going to be good. Yeah, slightly smaller problem. Sorry, Dave. Go ahead. One other thing Jeff said, which which we didn't uh, respond to, was how do you manage the you know the big egos of some of these athletes? I don't know if that's as much of a challenge as as we would think at first glance, because there's two very powerful forces at work when you're a pro athlete and pro athletes, especially now are so conscious of their own shelf life and their own, you know, direction in, in their career. So if you're a team sport, the fact that some, like, let, let's, let's imagine the Pakistan cricket team who are on tour, you sit out because you don't feel safe or you don't want to go. There's definitely someone else who will take your spot. So if you don't want to, someone else will, that's one thing that, that will make athletes do what they got to do and, and money, you know, I mean, it's, it's like, well, I go play here. Um, I'll make the money. And I mean, in tennis, there's, there's maybe even the, the idea of if some of the top players don't come, this is, this is my chance to, to win a big mm. tournament. So it was either, the, I think it was the French. Yeah. The French open, the field was in the men's was, you know, substantially weaker than, um, than it could have been. Uh, no, it was, it was the U S there was one that, that both Nadal and Federer didn't play. And so basically, I think it was the US. They, they, they didn't play the US and then Ash Barty yeah. didn't play the French. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that that factor, like the, the money and the opportunity to win. Um, and, and also if you sit out for too long, the, the, the sport moves past you. So you, you've got to be very careful to, to manage the level that you're at. Um, mm. And the whole in team sports, someone else will take your place. And then where does that leave you factor? I think those two factors will put even these very large egos in, in, in check is, is my guess on how that part will. Uh, yeah. And, and look, whilst we've, you know, came the NFL on occasion here, um, that was probably something boots that I think they actually managed really well mm. at the start of the season was giving players, you know, quite a reasonable period of time to consider all the risks and the, and the factors and, and choose to opt out, um, you know, relatively pain free from, from the season. Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to bring up, Ranch, actually, because you did see a number of players. Uh, first of all, the NFL in, in a sort of non-NFL way 
Often players, uh, you know, they can get, depending on their years in the league, you could get up to 360 grand for opting out and just not playing, get paid 360 grand, and then, but your contract tolls. So it's as if that year never happened and you are contracted wow. uh, for that ne- for that next uh, yeah. for that and, next and, year. And and I think I'm right. That that money came off your next year's contract. Like it's it's it yes. was it was yeah. a loan. Like it wasn't. They didn't just give, gift it to you. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so and and a number of players did take, including some mm. significant players did mm. did did take that option. Um, a lot Patriots of them. Statements. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of them had to do. A lot of them were, were players who had. Uh, issues that were mor- morbidities. You, you notice there's actually an overrepresentation of offensive linemen uh, in the people who decided not to to play, and also people who lived with uh, elderly parents uh, mm. with them or, or with children who had uh, mm. who had an existing conditions. So uh, that, in terms of a, a team sport attitude, and and with players who actually did in a in a sport that has an average, if you play in the NFL. You are expected to play for 2.8 years, um, so that that's not a long long shelf yeah. life um, in terms of. So you've opted out. You've actually yeah, take, taken a, a view the of your, your long term well being. Yeah. So that was Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. First real person uh, who's actually written in and taken the time. We appreciate that very much. Dick and Ham Show at gmail.com for anyone else who wants to. <laughs> Right in the first TV series film conversation of 2021. Uh, slightly unprompted. I don't know if you guys have things that you've come with that you'd like to discuss. I've got a couple on Ranch. I know our favorite, favorite show, Cobra Kai, is back. So maybe we take that at the end. I had two quick ones. One for kids, um, which you may have already seen or you may not have on Disney+. Plus. As you know, I'm a big fan of the... The, the, the little originals and spin-offs that are on Disney plus. So the, the, the toy story ones in particular are really good. There's an interesting short that I, we've been watching called bow B A O, which mm. is it's great. Wildly different to most of the things your kids are probably watching. Uh, I think it's a Chinese production. I could be wrong and I could be insulting some people when they say that, but is it Chinese? Oh, or is it maybe um, Korean. No, it was, it was just, it was just a Pixar short that played before, um, Maybe Coco or something a few years ago, like the the, the one with the mother that makes the, that yeah, makes the yeah, buns. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I, you know, I, I won't spoil it, but it's a, it's a it's a highly different story in that it's it's a very sort of Asian style of storytelling, and the music and the the whole way the narrative flows is just feels completely different to what you were usually your kids would usually be watching. There's no dialogue. It's only about a twelve minute film. There's no dialogue at all, and a couple of things happening are like legitimately weird. That, that it just like, it takes like a left turn. And it's, it, I reckon it's a really interesting one to show your kids just to see how they react to something that's wildly different, but also like totally good, amazingly well-made film. Um, so that I, I give that one a high recommend. Like your kids, our, our daughter hates the first minute and then something happens and then suddenly she loves it. So we sometimes have to like skip through the first 60 seconds because she gets too angry. Um, but, um, I've, I've had, I've had little groups of, of kids who are just mesmerized by it in a way that is, is sort of different to the normal things they watch. So that's one I would recommend. I'm still frustrated by song exploder season two came out and it's just like three more songs and there's like yeah. one in there. And there's two things the, the guy hosting it is a little bit irritating. He sort of has the smug confidence of someone who has recorded the song himself even though he's just a, just a host, he's like the, he's like the equivalent of Andy G and like, he's somehow acting like he's Paul McCartney and he's just rapping with his bandmate. He's a bit annoying. Uh, but yeah, the song choice is, is frustrating because it's, they just, they could, bizarre, so yeah. they could do so much better. They could do so much better. But the second season, if you could call it a season has, uh, when you were young by the killers, which is probably one of, one of the best, you know, quintessential kind of classic songs from the mid two thousands. Um, you know, on a, on a pretty short list of songs. That's really cool. Seeing how they made that song listening to, and cause the killers are such an anonymous band. Who, like who even knows who those guys are? It was actually super cool. So the, the episode, the song exploder episode about the killers song is, is um, every bit as well, almost as good as the REM one. Um, so I, I mm. highly recommend that. Yeah. But Ranch, how about I'm Cobra like- Kai? Or do you want to yeah, give something uh, else first? Well, I was just going to say, I watched the, the REM song exploder episode and yeah, like, I mean, REM, the, weirdly a band that I, I've just never really warmed to too much. There's something about their sound that just doesn't do it for me. 
but um, yeah, like watching the episodes kind of good to watch it, 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 although all it really did was just make me pine for that MTV series classic albums where mm. they basically do that thing, but do it for an entire album um, and it goes for 45 minutes and it's just, you know, I'm a sucker for a show that's got, you know, like, the sound engineer and the guy who wrote the song just playing with the mixing desk and just kind of like turning up, you yeah. know, these, these background vocals here and this guitar line there just to, to really kind of, you know, make the point that they're trying to make with this song. Like I, I can watch that for basically anything. Um, and this feels like a very consumable, nothing wrong with it, but kind of not to that same level of kind of geekery um, uh, in, 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 in song exploder than, that I get with, with, with classic albums, but yeah. like, no, you're it, dead right. it, was, it was a good show. You're dead right. Classic albums is something I forgot about, but it's just a better version of it. Um, but I guess you have to be maybe slightly more engaged. It's not as much of a casual viewing experience as Song yeah, Exploder yeah. is. It's, and it's, it's not it's, as polished, it's, but it's, it's far more good. in depth. Yeah. yeah. The Nirvana one of that is excellent with, with Butch Vig, the guy who produced it. And yeah, the Motorhead, the Ace of Spades one is really good because it has the three original members um, talking about stuff and they hadn't been kind of, quote unquote together for, for years. Um, and I just made, it's just a great album. It's, it's um, like, also they've got some great talent talking about that. Like the slash and there's all sorts of cool people. Mm. Commenting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Maybe no, just watch classic albums. <laughs> 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 I, I, I think there's quite a lot of episodes on Amazon prime actually here in Australia. I was, I was watching um, in fact, a movie that I'll mention here called sound of metal that I saw, which is amazing. Um, uh, in the other people who watch Sound of Metal thing that came up on, on Amazon, that was the um, the Iron Maiden um, uh, number of the Beast Classic Albums episode, which is a cracker. Uh, so I think that, yeah, quite a lot of the episodes are on Amazon if you wanted to check them out. Um, Boost, did you want to maybe go before we geek out about Cobra Kai? No, that's all right. Go nuts. I, I, um, I enjoyed Cobra Kai. I, I don't think I will have the in-depth thoughts that, uh, that you two do. <laughs> so season three of Cobra Kai started on, I think it was New Year's Day. Um, I finished it tonight. Um, and it's pretty much just more of the same. Hey, have you, where are you up to, Dave? Have you seen it? Um, yeah, I'm trying to say it without spoiling it. I, I think I'm, I'm about 70% through. I haven't actually even checked how many episodes are, but a lot has happened narratively. So I, I would say I'm 60 to 70% through it. Yeah. Look, I, I think um, I, it, it's hard to say if, if I like it as much as the first two seasons. I think probably on balance I don't because it's a, it's a bit kind of repetitive. Like some of the stuff that's happening in this season is kind of just the same as what happened. And, and the longer the story goes on, the more you just kind of have to question, like, why do people care so much about this, you know, like this feuding... <laughs> these feuding karate dojos in a relatively isolated, you know, part of, of California for, you know, like young teenagers, like why do people care so much? And so it's, it's starting to get a little bit silly, but, um, but shit, I love Johnny Lawrence. I just, yeah, he's, he's so great. He's so good. Um, and, and my love for, for Johnny Lawrence is, is perfectly offset by my, by my dislike for Ralph Macchio and, and, um, and, and Daniel LaRusso. But I mean, it's just hitting all of those great nostalgia beats again. Probably fewer cool um, needle drops uh, in in season three than, than than season one and two, I think. But um, has it got really elongated, like karate fight scenes that are surprisingly really well choreographed and pulled so off by these teams? Are these teenage actors? Yes, it does. Does it have cool Johnny Lawrence moments? Yes. Does it have like long sequences where he's trying to work out social media and, you know, like then kind of mastering it to the point where he can talk about it in a conversation, but then also just like owns himself by saying something stupid at the end. Absolutely. Like it's, um, it's got, it's got so much great stuff in it. It's such a fun show. It, it really is. Yeah. It's, it's clearly becoming more cartoonish and, the thing I, I keep wondering is like, how do you wrap this up? Like I, I kind of find myself laughing about the fact that how many times they say, you know, we could end this or we have to end this. We have to finish yeah. this. And it's like, how? Like, I don't get it. Cause if there's <laughs> yeah, one know. thing I've learned is that, you know, teenage karate gang warfare, it, it never ends. It goes on forever. This oh, is, these yeah. guys are still fighting guys from 30 years ago. It's the equivalent mm. of like, you know, I mean, in my own life, I was going to get my car fixed the other day and, Next thing you know, there's a gang of men with like chains and spanners and I had to karate fight them. You know, we know this from our own experience that it never ends. That karate teenage warfare just goes on and on and, and maybe it's pointless to try. 
to stop it. It's a, it's a slippery slope. It's um it's interesting you do say that because you're right. And I think in this season, at least three times, people are trying to rally support for something and they're like, come on, we can end this. And it's like, but what are you actually going to do? Are you just going to beat them all to death? Like, because you don't have another plan to systemically solve this, this stupid feud that's been going on for decades. So yeah. like, other than just saying, let's band together and end it, like you're not going through any formal channels really like through the police or anything like that all you're going to do is just is just beat them up until they die or run away so i don't i don't get it they're stuck in a loop of of trying to end a karate battle with more karate is is what we're saying (laughs) (laughs) and it's funny and it's entertaining and maybe that's part of why it's funny because it's so dumb that they think that's that's gonna work it's like you know what we need to do (laughs) i've got the answer we need to just do more karate gang battles well, if look, to be honest, if, if the season finale of each season has told us anything is that yeah, I think that the producers of the show genuinely think that the answer is more karate because there is a shitload of karate. There's so There's much so karate in this one. So but it's, it's starting to take over the culture a bit. Like yesterday when we were, we were coming home from the snow, we were just having like the pre-drive home pizza dinner. I looked across and there's like a middle-aged lady with her kids and she's just got like a t-shirt with karate written on it. (laughs) (laughs) And she's she's in her 40s, you know? I'd be extremely interested in a badass um, Cobra Kai t-shirt if I can get my hands on one. And and I won't say the name of it, but there is um, another karate dojo that is started in season three that has a fucking unreal name. And I can't (laughs) wait to get a t-shirt of that. So it sounds like you're not up to that. Though. I'm not up to that, but I can see I can see it going that way. So I reckon I'm quite close. Yeah. But and you know who starts it, and you yeah, know it's yeah, going to yeah. be awesome. Yeah, I can see what's <laughs> I can see what's coming. But the um, you can buy official Cobra Kai merch. You can buy beach towels. You can buy a whole bunch of yeah, stuff. Bet. If you look I online, bet. so just just go but, nuts. But I, uh, go nuts. I on am that. kind of conflicted now because you know what what I've seen is that everyone who gets involved in Cobra Kai as a dojo just <laughs> bad news, man. You got to exactly. get out of there before you know it. You're breaking your friend's arms and punching them out. And, you, you buy know, that t-shirt. And what's going to happen to your life? You know, you'll be, you just be minding your own business, like going to vote, decisions. vote in yeah. the local election. And then some dude shows up and he's got the other t-shirt on. You have to, you know, he'll fly kick yeah. you in the chest or something. Yeah. The, um, the, uh, the other thing we are going long on this, but I'm editing it. I'm keeping it all in. Um, <laughs> is, is, um, is like, notice the amount of scenes that take place like at presumably 10 or 11 o'clock at night where just someone will turn up to the Cobra Kai dojo and just that creepy old guy is just there, like Crease. <laughs> like he's just there by himself. He's just gotten out of the shower or the sauna or something. People turn up to confront him middle of the night. It's open. They just walk straight in. I know, he's just I know. there. Doesn't just he gotten sleep? out of the bath. Doesn't he go home or go out for no. dinner or something? No, all, all he does all, all he does is stand at the, at the, the fucking dojo and brood. That's all he does. I'm taken aback by the aging of these guys. Like the, the two key guys. So Ralph Macho is 59 years old and Zabka must be about the Fuck, same. Is he? Yes. Yeah. Because I mean, it's, it's at least 30 plus years since the Karate Kid mm. was made. So that crease guy must be in his seventies because he was clearly yeah. older than those two child actors in the Karate yeah, Kid. Yeah. But, I mean, mm. I, look, they're in LA, so they haven't aged completely naturally, but he's aged kind of, they've all aged in a way that actually really helps. Like Ralph Macho is... Oh, yeah, I mean the the, the crease. His his face is pulled back pretty tight, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Particularly on the forehead. <laughs> that uh, that looks like someone's you know stretched a piece of fox skin over a uh, <laughs> over a skull. Yes, don't say that out loud. He's he's pretty good at karate. I would say that shit out loud. He'll, he'll fuck you up. I know they, they do a good job of making him menacing without showing him fight because he is so old that I think it would look a bit yeah. co- comical if he was trying to beat someone up, but he does other things that make him menacing without actually having to fight people, which that's just, I think the thing we learned from the show, so many good decisions on how to kind of reignite a universe and how to pay service to yeah, the yeah. fans, but also do something that's actually interesting and different. It's not that easy to pull off and they did so many no. things really well. Um, yeah, no, yeah, hats off like, to the people um, who did it. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. We could talk for so long about Cobra Kai, but we probably leave it there. Can I bring up one? Uh, and Go I, ahead, I know this is going to be so mainstream as to probably uh, make, make ramps throw up on, on screen. Um, the, Ma- the Mandalorian, 
uh, again, every, you know, look, everybody is watching that, but I, uh, I really enjoyed the first season and I found the second season to, to be, notwithstanding the fact that it was a backdoor pilot for about six other shows, um, <laughs> was, was really, really good. Like I thought it just, the, the way it was, uh, the way it was put together, the way it balanced kind of servicing people who have a, a long connection to the Star Wars universe, whether you care about the, the, the non-core universe or just, just the movies. But um, even just as a standalone show, I think it was kind of the, the show that I hoped they could make uh, uh, in the Star Wars universe. And I just think the um, if, if you haven't watched it because you're kind of not, you're a bit put off by perhaps the last two uh, films in the, uh, uh, or at least the last one in the, the, the uh, three main Star Wars films that got released in the recent past, I would say watch this and this is actually how you would have hoped that they did those films. What do you make of Ranch's earlier criticism about the num- the amount of mask wearing and, and lack of sort of actual faces making it hard to kind of invest in any of the emotion I was actually, of it. I was actually, I was actually fine with that. I mean, Pedro Pascal is obviously a very good actor and you know, even his, his brief turn on Game of Thrones um, was excellent. But the, um, I found the, the, that kind of, element of the character being the, you know, that's the thing he does. He doesn't take his mask off. Um, I think it eventually it kind of had an affectation. And then when you find out that actually that's a, a weird subgroup of the Mandalorian um, people, um, I thought that was, that was a, a, an interesting twist and then kind of gave them, gave them a bit of license to see uh, how he might develop. And look, I think, not that they've announced or said what season three is going to be, but the way that season two ended without, without spoiling it. Um, I think kind of the, the different people that make up the Mandalorian um, race uh, are, are going to be a sort of pivotal concept in the third season. Okay. So we've got a rift in that ranch is all out on the Mandalorian. You're in on the Mandalorian. So that's a healthy, healthy disagreement. Mm. Yeah, look, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I, I feel like I'm a bit of a jerk on this. I, I like the rest of the world seems to love this show, and so great. Mm. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm certainly the problem. Um, I, I feel like I just, I, I, I'm struggling to, as I, as I said, kind of you know really invest in so many of these characters when I'm not, I'm just not able to pick up on any of the emotion that the characters have because of masks and you know other like latex you know, kind of things. Um, but I, I, I don't know, the, like that's, that's, that's not to mean it's a bad show. I mean, it looks incredible. I think that if you were, you know, a hardcore Star Wars person, as you say, Bert's like there, there's, there's so much there for a, ca- like, I don't know, am I a casual Star Wars fan? I guess so. Like I've seen the movies, I've watched them a million times and stuff. I, but, you know, in comparison to hardcore people, I'm clearly not anywhere hardcore as, as them the only references I pick up on are just stuff that is so on the nose that it's, it, that it feels like it's written for a dumb shit like me. So I don't know. Like I, I think um, it, it, it looks incredible. I, I think there is like, I think what you were saying is that perhaps in season three, we might kind of understand more about some of the different kind of factions in the Mandalorian, mm. I don't know, race or whatever they are. Mm. I think that mm. could really, really truly be interesting and, you know, maybe gets away from a, um, guy flies to new planet in each episode and solves some kind of problem with the local sheriff or whatever. Like that's, that's kind of what it's felt so, like, but if it, if it can turn into something more, more broader than that, I, I think it could be really good. But uh, just to pick up on that point, I think that in kind of the, the Netflixication of, of television, we, the sort of, you know, story of the week arc and, and sort of non-serialized shows has really gone away. So I actually quite enjoyed and I thought it was more prevalent yeah, in the first series enough. than in the second series. Um, I really liked having a, you know, there could be an overarching story during, but, but, the, but a, a self-contained story in a, in a hour of television yep. um, is something that, that, uh, that I liked. I don't, I need there to be that if I turn on, you know, I'll be someone who, who watches everyone, but I don't need to be able to turn on episode eight and not be able to enjoy it at all if I haven't watched every yeah, other yeah, yeah. the twenty yeah, tw- no, twenty two yeah. episodes leading up to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and, and I think that's right. I mean, I, I think that was one of the major strengths of the Crown as, as well. Each, each episode had a start, middle, and end. Um, you know, I, I, I guess 
what it might just be is that maybe I just didn't care about the stories. <laughs> I think that's probably what it was. But also, mm. you know, it, it certainly looks amazing and people seem to love it. So, you know, good on them. It seems like they've really smashed it. Can I give two podcast recommendations quickly? Uh, I know we don't do that very often, but I'm, I've been all in for a long time on uh, WTF with Mark Maron, who is a, who is a stand up comic. He sort of turned into an actor as well. He was on glow. He was on a few other things. He was in the uh, universally panned David Bowie film that just came out, which is supposedly terrible. Um, his podcasts, if you can get through the sort of self-indulgent sort of slightly whiny seven minute diatribes at the start or 12 minute diatribes at the start, the caliber of guests that he gets is really something, um, you know, he's sort of from Obama to Paul McCartney type level, but he also does find a lot of interesting people across the entire spectrum. Um, he did two recently that were exceptional one with an actor called, uh, Scott Glenn, who was, who was kind of a journeyman actor who was on apocalypse now and had small parts and then he hit it big and had some great parts in the seventies. Fascinating, fascinating. Listen, and the other one ranch I was recommending highly to you was the, the one he did with Bootsy Collins, uh, the sort of the bass funk funk master uh, from the seventies. And that guy was surprisingly different to what mm. I expected and just had the best, the best stories about playing the bass for James Brown. Did you listen to that episode? It's, it, it's on my queue. I haven't gotten to it yet, but it is, it is on there. Like my, I, I, I get Marin's feed come through. So if there's guests that I'm really interested in, I can, I won't miss it, but most of the time I just delete the episodes because I I'm, no, I'm not going to get it, but I kept that one on your recommendation. That, that one, you, you just have to, just because the, the guy, the, someone who played with James Brown and tells the dirt about what that was like is funny and interesting anyway. But the fact that he does a pitch perfect James Brown voice as he tells these stories He's like, so then James fired us from the band. He said, what you going to do? You can't go anywhere without James Brown. And he, 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 he can tell like whole paragraphs of James Brown quotes and just sound a hundred percent like him. And James Brown was so crazy. And that these stories are just <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost, uh, it's an episode I would recommend more highly than almost any other podcast episode yep. last, last year. It's, it's amazingly funny. So uh, that they're both on the w, WTF pod with, uh, with Mark, Mark with a C, Mark Marin. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. Did you, um, did you want to revisit Maradona in Mexico, Dave? I think last time we were on here, you just started it. And since then you went, you went, kind of galaxy brain on the whole thing. Did you want to uh, yeah, recap? Yeah, I'm conscious. I don't want to, I don't want to hog the mic too much, but I, I loved that. I thought that was, that was my favorite sports documentary I've seen in a long, long time. And I'm not a Maradona fan. I'm not a huge football fan, but I was uh, instantly intrigued by second division, Mexican football by a guy with a cocaine problem, moving to the cocaine capital of the world to coach second division, Mexican football. And small spoiler alert, the fact that the team actually, their fortunes do change once he takes over, because it would be pretty boring if you, you know, a guy takes over the worst team and they stay the worst. That would, I mean, it could be interesting, but I, I like, I like the idea of there being a trajectory change. Um, and I thought that, and, and the fact that Maradona, unlike every modern star in, in sport um, that I can think of anyway, just doesn't give a fuck at all. That makes it so much more interesting because part of that is he doesn't care what they film. So they, that, you know, it, it is warts and all. I'm, I'm the world's biggest Michael Jordan fan, but the last dance, as much as I loved it, it was, it's just a puff piece, right? Like all of that footage gets cleared by him. He owns the rights to it. Um, and so you, it comes out basically as like a checklist of people Jordan wants to make look good and a checklist of people Jordan wants to make look bad. Um, and that's, that's not really the most interesting retelling of a story. Um, whereas this other thing is, is uh is is something else and just just the color and the vibrancy of this second division mexican football league is really something else so yeah highly highly yeah. recommend that one yeah and, and look certainly i mean it's good that we've now all got you know a favorite team in the second division mexican soccer competition like that's <laughs> that that's good um but look, I, I i quite liked it it's i think it's only like six episodes or something like that about half an hour each like it's a really it's a really quick watch um but fascinating for a number of reasons and i think you mentioned this day the guy, the poor bastard, he can barely move. Like he, he, like his knees are the size of like full size Sharon's basically. They're so arthritic. He's literally got people carrying him around. Um, he's almost kind of weirdly unrecognizable from like yeah, him in his, in his, in his heyday. Like it's, it is the same guy, but you're just a bit like, I don't quite understand how his face just looks so, so different now. Um, 
and and what's what's fascinating is as you say like there's there's some improvement in the team which is fascinating to watch and i and i i'm interested in, in your point of view did you get did you kind of form the view that most of the actual improvements in the team actually came from the coaches that weren't him like it was it was, it was all yeah like <laughs> it, it kind of felt like um you know maybe we might have lost a little bit through some of the subtitles but like in a lot of the commentary from from other people who were in and around the team like there certainly seemed to be a lot of assistant coaches who were very very strategic in their thinking and and how they yeah. trained the team and then there's just maradona singing songs about himself a lot of the time <laughs> like in every episode um but you know what what's extremely clear is just you know his cult of personality and just you know the effect that someone like him on you know on on a on a on a on a small i guess small town by mexican standards um you know the 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 impact that a player like him can actually have on that town and the feeling and the belief that they have is kind of undeniable it's it's a it's it's a really kind of fascinating and interesting watch for sure it is and just before i throw something to you boots the um yeah, I think you're right about the other coaches being technically far more proficient than him. He's clearly not a, uh, I mean, he clearly wasn't because he's dead now, a uh, X's and O's whiteboard type of guy. But football in some ways, maybe particularly, uh, maybe more so at those lower levels, there's so, there's something to be said for for belief and unity and momentum. Particularly, it's it's a low scoring game. Ha- and and you got you got to remember who this guy is and how much those players would have worshipped him as like a godlike figure. Having a guy like that believe in you and show you a few little things that no one else has shown you that, that actually in that, in that game, I think goes, it doesn't go all the way, but it goes quite a long way. Um, and if you also have shrewd tactical people who can kind of manage the other stuff, um, there's certain sports. I don't think it would work that well to have a guy like him come in, but in this sport, it, it you know, it, uh, it did no fascinating watch. Um, just the, uh, another couple of things that I've watched that, um, uh, I said I was going to mention, but I didn't. There's this movie called um, Sound of Metal. It's got Riz Ahmed. Um, it's about a drummer who all of a sudden loses his hearing. It's about how he kind of deals with that. It'll be um, certainly, you know, in consideration for many of the big kind of awards, I think, at the end of the 2020 season. But um, it's it's a remarkable movie. It's on Amazon Prime now. If anyone wants to watch it, I would strongly recommend doing it. If you can watch it with headphones, um, I think that would be great. It's got some of the most amazing sound design uh, that I've ever that I've ever experienced, and it's just it's a it's a really really good movie. Um, I, it threatened to be super depressing and stuff, and I was thinking, oh God, do I need this? But um, it's actually a little bit more uplifting um, and hopeful than what I was what I was expecting. Um, so I'd, I'd certainly rec- I'd give that a hard recommend. A hard not recommend would be uh, Wonder Woman 1984. It's an absolute train smash. Uh, don't bother. Um, I went to Southland to see it in a movie cinema. May have got COVID because there's been an outbreak down this way. Um, but uh, it, I, it, it was not worth it, um, unfortunately. <laughs> that that would be a real slap in the face. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't quite COVID after. Yeah, I've, uh, obviously we now have a personal recommendation, but uh, everything I'd been reading about Wonder Woman at 1984 was, was not good, which is unfortunate given the lack of uh, uh, action and like, other uh, blockbuster movies that are being released. Yeah, given how good the first one was. Yeah, like I, I just wanted it to be good. Like, you know, I thought the first one was, was great fun. And, you know, I mean, don't let my stupid recommendation turn you off from seeing it. Like certainly go and see it and make up your own mind. But I don't know. It, it was one of those ones where like most of the time you can see a movie and if you didn't really like it, you can kind of go, oh, look, maybe if this was different or if that was different, like, you can mm-hmm. kind of see how a little tweak here might have made it work a bit better for you. This is one where I'm just like, I just think it was a fucking shit idea and, and it was poorly executed. Like just, it's just a, an absolute top to bottom um, smash and just some really just amazingly bad decisions, like astonishingly so. Um, so I wouldn't recommend that. I saw Tenant, which was um, uh, interesting. Um, there's probably too much to really go into now, but again, if you can see it um, in in a cinema, you can, if you want to go and risk that, um, I would certainly recommend that. Um, Describe it as high concept. Can you you give me some more on that? So, I mean, we all kind of know what high concept is. What is it about this that's requires kind of a higher level of uh, thinking? Well, okay. So, so it's, I mean, for the people who probably maybe don't follow movies as closely as we do, it's the new Christopher Nolan movie. Um, So he's done, you know, many just extraordinary films. I think, you know, almost every single one of his movies is, um, is, is extremely good, if not extremely interesting. Um, and, you know, this probably is, is certainly in the extremely interesting category. It's, you know, probably more along the lines of your, 
Inception and Interstellar type Christopher Nolan movies. It's not so much like your typical action movie that's done really well. It's kind of got some stuff that makes you have to, you know, do mental gymnastics to follow the plot, so to speak. And as with many things, he's kind of playing with time and how time works and how time is experienced and all this sort of stuff. I didn't um, get Inception, without- just for the record, didn't get it. Right. Okay. Tenant. Well, see tenant, but you know, like I, I would, the, the way I've described it in to people in the last few days would be that if you see Inception, Dave, apologies, most people can see Inception and kind of walk along, go and see it, come out and go, yeah, cool. I can kind of describe what happened here. Like in, in, in a few sentences, like I'm not going to nail every single detail of it, but I can, I can describe kind of how, how the world works. I challenge almost anyone to see Tenant and not be able to and, and be able to describe more than say sixty percent of it without kind of then just like falling over and falling over themselves. Like there's there's too much going on there and it just doesn't really feel like it's a story well told. Whereas I think Christopher Nolan's genius in many other cases is he's got these super complex movies that he's making and shooting and stories that he's telling, but it's able to be digestible by you know, most people, whereas I just think Tenant kind of fails a little bit on in, in that respect. That said, though, um, you know, visually it is, you know, up there with some of the most amazing stuff I think I've ever seen. There, there, oh. There's stuff that there's stuff that he designs and shoots in this that um, it, I, I just, I have no idea how he does it. Um, there's there's fight choreography here where there's a certain dynamic at play. Um, is it karate? I, Are they doing yes. karate? Yes. Yeah, well, sort of. Um <laughs> Uh, but it is it is it is absolutely extraordinary, and you know he he tends to not rely as much on kind of digital effects. He will have practical effects and actual like actually blow shit up and actually crash stuff into stuff. Um, and so you know it's certainly worth saying, but yeah, it felt f- fell apart on the on the narrative front for me. Just to, just so you know, guys, update New, word in from Sam. Sorry, guys, I can't make the taping today. Just sent that an hour into uh, to the schedule timing. Thanks, it's, it's good good no work, Sam. Thanks for the. Thanks for letting us know an hour into the taping that you're not going to join. Well, it will cover for you. We'll, uh, we'll manage that. Uh, NBA season is back on. Uh, we're about, what, maybe a week and a half, two weeks or so ten, into ten it. Days, what, what are you seeing so in. far? What, what are you seeing so far? What are you expecting uh, to see going forward? Look, one of the primary concerns I had was that we'd have some of the NFL situation where you have um, people who are out for breaching the COVID protocols and and where you've only got 12 players on a team and realistically so the only four or five who make a difference about whether you're good or not um that that losing a couple of those players was going to sort of tell the tale of the season that other than a couple of houston games because james harden can't not go to a strip club um we haven't had uh, too many teams that have been particularly shorthanded for COVID reasons. Um, and and, look, and again, sorry, sorry, can I just ask, are they bubbled or no. not? They're no, not they're, 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 cool. they just had strict protocols. They are, yeah. have changed okay. the travel arrangements to try and assist with it. For example, you will go into, uh, for example, the, the Lakers have just been in um, San Antonio and you play San Antonio, you have a day off, then you play them again. So you don't have to travel there twice. You basically travel there once. Okay. Um, and, and same with home stands. You know, you've got team team coming in, which, which makes makes sense, reduces the amount of travel, um, even though they're flying on private planes. It's obviously um, moving about is more problematic. So, look, we'll, we'll see. Um, we're, we're 10 days in so far. The... One of the problems that, that any any sport has at the moment is the kind of the the, the, the stadiums without fans that still don't look great. Like it doesn't look have it doesn't have the same effect. They've quite gotten relatively good at piping in the sound, um, but yeah, it, it it still just has that sort of preseason game feel to it. Even though these are these are proper for regular season points games. Um, you know, ten days into an NBA season, where you're going to be, they're going to be playing seventy-two rather than the, the usual eighty-two this year, and they are going to be having a play-in tournament for the last two spots in the um, in the playoffs, which I like that. Two wrinkles. For the I think that's great. I, I, uh, look, I think it does make it interesting. It all, also, I mean, it does keep more teams interested for longer, which is, you know, I suppose always a good thing. But, but equally. 
you now have 20 of the 30 teams will be participating in some form of playoff, which, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know whether we should be rewarding um, teams. Two, th- two thirds of the league. <laughs> yeah. So that, that that's my criticism of it. But, you know, the, 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 the NBA is looking at this well. You know, the teams that finish ended up finishing seventh and eighth have a horrific record of actually winning that first round, so it doesn't really matter who the fuck it is in those last two spots. So you may as well include the ninth and tenth teams to keep two more fan bases interested um, interested for longer. Are your Lakers in a better position to win than they were last year? Same position or worse position than they were last season? And who else will, will be kind of in contention, do you think? So... The the Lakers are, are both the, the betting favourites and the experts favourites and kind of the, the off-season moves they've made have actually made them a a, a bigger favourite than they were last year. It, 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 when they acquired Anthony Davis, the thought process was that the first year that the, 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 um, the secondary players probably weren't going to be good enough and then it was going to be this year that they would probably be you know, a, a top-tier contender. Um, I, I was always of the view... Um, that if you put LeBron and Anthony Davis together, as long as you had some competent um, role players around them, you would be you would be fine, and you would be a contender. You might not win, but you would be in that conversation. You know, as it turned out, they held things together better than anyone else. And um, Anthony Davis' uh, defense in the playoffs is is actually something that you that you can't replicate. That's incredibly hard to play against. Just to very quickly track back to Dave's original question about who the other contending teams are I think um, in the West I think the Clippers notwithstanding what everyone has said about them and you know I've, I've made the same jokes that, that everyone else in the NBA versus has made about playoff P uh, and, and some of the other uh, uh, kind of personalities on the Clippers but the, the point is they still have Kawhi Leonard who I think is the, the, the best player Non Giannis, non LeBron uh, division in the in the league, um, and I still think they yeah they 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 have enough good players and and will be there. They'll they'll be in the playoffs and you know will we'll probably be the first or second seed in the West depending on how hard the Lakers decide to play. I think Portland uh, look like the kind of team that that might end up in one of the top four seeds in the West. And if you end up in the top four seeds, that's how you give yourself a chance. And then Sorry. in the, in the East, um, I, I think Brooklyn, if Durant stays healthy, and I think that the early return suggests that he is, I think we're going to look at Kevin Durant and say, that's actually the best that any athlete has come back from an Achilles injury that we've ever seen. Um, and which will obviously be uh, be a, a, a good achievement. Um, he he looks very good so far, um, and I think I think the East is actually pretty thin. Um, I think the Celtics aren't as good as they were. I think the losing Gordon Hayward is more of a problem than they think, and I think Kemba Walker's not going to play much. I think Miami benefited more than any other team from being in the bubble because I think they're just by their nature, their superstar plus their kind of ethos is is very mentally tough and therefore they benefited from some of the other teams that perhaps weren't as mentally tough in that that very rigid bubble atmosphere. Um, and I think Milwaukee, um, uh, until they do it in the playoffs, everyone's going to go, well, this is awesome that you're having a really good regular season, but what happens when everyone just um, game plan specifically um, for you over a seven-game series and makes Gianna, uh, makes Giannis shoot, shoot the ball and not get to the rim. So, but I still think that, the, yeah, the, the, I think Milwaukee and, and Brooklyn will be the top two seeds in the East. And I think uh, one of those two uh, will come out and play the, the Lakers, the Clippers, or, or my, my, my wild card is, uh, is Portland. Well, it's good to have it back on uh, on our screens and enjoy it. I do agree that the stadium thing is hard to get around. It's just so much better to see the excitement of, of crowds. But, you know, if you have to choose this versus no basketball at all, of course, we, we choose this. 
course. And so, so like because they're not in the bubble, like they don't have the the the, the video screens kind of set up with a fake crowd. It's literally just empty stadiums, like 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 you've got elsewhere. Yeah, in the they, 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 yeah, they, they've they've sort of canvassed over with um, you know team specific sheets over the over the. Um, you know, first 25 rows and they've changed the camera angles to not show kind of shots, yeah. stadiums too, yeah. too much, but it's still, you know, it's hard not to notice it, particularly when you're shooting free throws. I've just got one more thing to, to add on this. It goes back to the Olympics. So maybe the upside for, for Tokyo and hosting the Olympics and not being able to allow visitors is there's no better city equipped to create a crowd of robots, <laughs> a full stadium of robots. I bet you they could do it, and I bet you it would be awesome. There you go. We've like Jeff's email has just been a winner. We're, like we've we've solved the Olympics problem. Crowd robot, of robots. Robot crowds sure. would it would be great. I think it's it's time. You know, I think we've we've all gotten over Terminator Two. We're we're not so nervous anymore about them rising mm-hmm. up and killing mm-hmm. us. I think I think we're yeah, ready for yeah, it. Like, yeah, yeah. Fewer T one thousands, more Dexters from Perfect Match, please. Yeah, yeah. And the one from uh, yeah. from Wally. A bunch of those. You know, they're they're adorable and fun. They're yeah, no nice. no no T one thousands. Good good robots only. Yeah. <laughs> couple Good. of BB-8s, they'll be fine. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Well, I guess you guys need to go to bed. I, I need to do a few things as well, so maybe we should uh, wrap it. That's all we have time for this week on the Dick and Ham Show. Thank you to Boots. Thank you to The Ranch. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, thank you to our sponsors, Simon Sexy Stock Picks and the old McCallum for that smooth, smooth taste. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> I, I, I love the old McCallum.